who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah Michelle Gellar of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame together a pop culture academic symposium yep we're the pop culture professors we're smart people we're talking dumb topics yep 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 and that voice you just heard was professor lauren brickman and that <laughs> maleficent tone comes from <laughs> professor caitlin Pitsigai. wow we're commenting on tones now i love it and why do we call each other professors of pop culture lauren well it's because we're really good at math and see we, <laughs> we, we both are mm-hmm. what's five times seven go <laughs> That's not the math I'm talking about. The math I'm talking about <laughs> is that we took the fact that we have masters <laughs> of degrees and uh, collegiate teaching experience and combined that with the thousands of hours of television and films mm. we watch each week. And when you put that together, the math equation equals we are the professors of pop. Okay, so it was a word problem. I got it. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yeah, you actually convinced me there. Um, I learned something today. Thank so, you. I am a professor. Yes. So the show's called We Stand Together. What does Stan mean? Well, stands are obsessive fans. It could be an obsessive fan of a particular ship, you know, a relationship, or a particular celebrity, or, you know, gosh darn it, it could be a person, place, or thing. Wow. I love that. I love that for us. Um, What are you standing this week, Lauren? I have to be really, really honest with you. Caitlin, oh, no. I, I have been changed by this podcast forever because this week, I'm standing Niall Horan. Uh, for listeners of the podcast, 
podcast, you may have noticed a few weeks ago we did a One Direction episode. And on Uh that episode, I didn't know that much about 1D. I'm unwell at this point. I I can't stop listening to them now. And particularly Niall, I now refer to him as my husband in a group <laughs> chat, um, which I I don't think since the episode was recorded with guests Ariel and Victoria, I don't think a single day has gone by since we recorded that I haven't talked to them about Niall and One. Just if you just to catch everyone up, or if you mm-hmm. didn't hear that episode, this was a special episode where Ariel and Victoria were guests, and they were teaching us about One Direction because neither of us knew anything about it. Yeah. We had a group text to plan that. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode I was immediately taken off and <laughs> yes, it went zero to 60 on yeah. these three discussing one direction specifically Niall every day and I have to just take a moment today to say a special thank you to Ariel because she has gone out of her way to make me feel welcome to this fandom and in the mail this week I got a care package of stickers of oh, the God. band and she went out of her way to make sure that none of the stickers included Zane. So thank you, Ariel, for making my illness what it is today. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mine this week is not a full blown illness. It is okay. it is just a watch this space. It is someone I'm interested in and I'm 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 interested to see what happens with him. And I okay. do not have any romantic feelings for him. I want to make that very clear because he's a okay. child. It is J Lo's son. Wow. J-Lo's son, Max, I am interested in, and I'm interested to see what happens to him. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, J-Lo had twins with ex-husband Mark Anthony. These are her only two children. They are Mm -hmm. fraternal boy-girl twins. And she's now engaged to uh, legendary baseball player A-Rod, and Mm -hmm. he has two daughters. So they take tons of family photos that are like, they're very just like rich family at the end of the cul-de-sac is sort of the genre I would call that. And I just, I love little Mark Anthony. His name is Max, but I forget that because I just call him little Mark Anthony Mm -hmm. because he looks exactly like Mark Anthony. He seems like he doesn't love being there with A-Rod, but like he tolerates it. Like I respect his emotional maturity. He's like, if this is what mom needs, I'll be here. I'll climb this tree and take this dumb photo with us all wearing white. Yeah. But I don't love it. And I want to be back with Mark Anthony. I feel like you sent a video of him earning $100 for memorizing baseball things. Is that what I saw? Is that the I'm, that you This rings a bell. The most recent one was when J-Lo posted for National Sons Day, a very mm-hmm. important holiday we've all yeah. respected for decades, uh, with lyrics to a Bruno Mars song under it, which I just thought was like, that's odd. Yeah. Uh, that's odd to put for Mark Anthony's son. I, I don't know. Yeah. But again, I'm interested to see what, I guess his name is Max Anthony. I've never said it out loud. I guess that's weird. But um, hmm. I'm just interested in him. Uh, I'll be watching him grow up on Instagram. Uh, the other one, the girl, I don't, the girl like wants to be an actor and a singer. I think Mark Anthony Jr., whose name is Max, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. He just wants to be him. And I, I, I'm I like enjoying that. him. I, quick pitch. I would like to officially make his nickname Little Ma. Okay. Little Mark Anthony, Little Ma. I just, I'm throwing it out there. Like, that makes me think of a tiny version of the character Ma from the movie Ma. <laughs> Which, Which I also think is cute. <laughs> I also love that. I also love that. Little Ma in any shape or size, I'm into you. So um, okay. well, that's exciting. 
Yeah, it's it's just something. Sometimes you have to admit to yourself what you're looking for in JLo's well, Instagrams. It's exciting because this is a journey that is gonna take a while to unfold. So like you've got years of entertainment watching this. Years and the wedding. I mean, the A Rod and JLo wedding is big on my calendar for many reasons, but not the least of which is what is little Ma gonna do? <laughs> How's little Ma gonna process this big day? I'm into it. I'm here for it. You know what else I'm into? Today's guest. I'm oh wow! Today's guest. Oh wow! Yeah. Everyone is. Everyone, Everyone is. is. That's the funny thing. And you guys know I'm from Brooklyn Nine Nine. You've seen him on Search Party. Please welcome Will Hines. Hey, how's it going? Will Hines. Greetings. It's, you know, it's going good. But having read your Twitter account, I don't think my day has gone nearly as good as yours. It seems like <laughs> it seems like you're just crushing it at every turn. That's right. I have a perfect life, and everything I do works uh, according to my Twitter. That's beautiful. oh, that's awesome. This this podcast episode is going to turn out great. Yeah, uh, my Twitter account has gotten so much more popular since I stopped like trying to make jokes or observations and just <laughs> lie about how well my life is going. Like people are so much more excited for me to obviously lie about my life than to like make any stupid joke or observation based on things I'm actually thinking. Like sometimes I'll try to do like a joke on Twitter. It gets like with however many likes, then I'll just put like did a hundred pushups easy and it'll get like four times as many likes. And I'm like, well, the people, they just want the fake brags. That's all they want. <laughs> I've never once predicted a tweet's popularity correctly. Like no, I haven't done either. Yeah. I, I've, I've tweeted a few things where I'm like, uh, get ready to go viral. And <laughs> that's always like two likes. <laughs> like it's, it's embarrassingly few. And like, you know how many people saw it and we're like, no. <laughs> it is wild. Like I posted what I thought was a joke this morning about thinking about going to law school, but I got so much encouragement about it today that now <laughs> I'm really rethinking my life. Oh dear. Oh, that is not good. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people were like, go for it. And I'm like, mm, this was a joke. Uh, but, you know. Doesn't it feel like people um, like on the Internet are just always willing to tell you to do some huge life changing decision? <laughs> like, no yeah. matter. I feel like whenever anybody says to a friend, should I break up with person yeah. with whom if I do would be a significant change to my life? And emotionally costly people like dump him, dump him, girl, dump that, <laughs> dump that dude. You don't need him. I feel like no matter what, people are just like in favor of you fucking up your life. Totally. A hundred percent. Burn it to the ground. You want to go to law school? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, possibly have a lifetime's worth of debt for a skill that you may not like having even for one second. Yeah, do it. Do it. No, you don't know. Oh, Nobody knows. So true. So true. Uh, well, you know, today's theme is not irrational life advice, though maybe it should have been. Maybe it should have been. Today's theme is, it's a little its a little off. So, Will, we usually choose the theme based on something we know our guest is a stan of. This I'm one so did... sorry that I don't know more things about pop oh, culture. Oh, no. I think you do know a lot. Okay. Uh, it's just I chose to take a weird angle, okay. which is something... I don't think you're a stand of, but it's something you and I enjoy talking about. Okay, is this and your hometown? Right. Today's theme <laughs> is small towns. <laughs> okay, this is this is true. Yeah, yeah. I just I do stand this. I am glad you guessed it. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like to Lauren that I was completely inventing. Kayla and I have been friends a long time, and in recent years, like the last couple of years, 
90% of our communication is Caitlin sending me a Marco Polo video of her just telling me the gossip in her hometown. And the more proper nouns, the better. Like the more like first and last names of people, mm -hmm. the businesses and streets, I like it more. Now, I've never been to her hometown. I don't know any of these people. <laughs> I could be making it up. Honestly, Caitlin, I think we need to start a new Telegram channel that's because we're all talking about your hometown. <laughs> but I think we need to get the whole community together in one spot. I think that's a great idea. And also, like, you know, listeners, maybe we can have a Patreon level where I'll send you a Marco Polo. <laughs> Will Hines gives it five stars. <laughs> I really well, do. You, you know, we always like to put our listeners at ease by letting them know what our credentials are for this topic. Uh, Caitlin, what are your small town credentials? I mean, really, they are, uh, as John Mellencamp says, I was born in a small town. I'm from mm -hmm. the town of New Albany, Indiana. Uh, this idea, as Will said, came from our communication of me telling him all the bizarre things that happened yeah. there. But as far as the pop culture tie-in, you will notice truly a disproportionate number of shows and movies mm -hmm. take place in Indiana, uh, including Parks and Rec, The Middle, which was on recently, Stranger Things, A Christmas Story, hmm. Now and Then, <laughs> Erie, Indiana, which is, you know, an invented town. And I don't know if people know that Garfield takes place in Indiana. Oh, I and didn't know that. That's a great trivia question. U.S. Acres. Wow. It does. I have been to, in Fairmont, Indiana, the museum that's dedicated to two famous things from Fairmont, Indiana. Mm -hmm. One is James Dean and the other is Garfield. Wow. <laughs> there is a oh, museum man. that has both of these things. I love that. Um, Garfield, what a strange thing to be a big hit for so, what a strange thing to be so well known. Well, and there's an, there was an Indiana license plate for a long time that you could get that uh, had Garfield on it. I mean, it's a huge hit, so I do understand that. But, I mean, nobody likes any comic strips. Nobody likes any of them. So <laughs> how did one of them become, like, famous? Like, like <laughs> nobody, nobody likes them. Nobody has liked comic strips since 1917. But he's kind of like a pre-TikTok. Like, mm -hmm. it's just three things. Yeah. Him hating his life, violence, and, and calling someone else stupid. Yeah, and food. Yeah, oh my we God. lasagna. He was proto-internet. Yeah. Truly. So, Lauren, what are your credentials here? Well, we're 69 meets 40. There's a single stoplight town where Carrie Underwood was born and raised. And I, Lauren Brickman... <laughs> I've eaten at the Sonic there more than once uh, <laughs> wow. because I grew up in Edmond, Oklahoma, which people who have never been to Oklahoma, y'all think Edmond is a small town. It's really not a small town. Caitlin, you've driven around it with me. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's suburban or exurban. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but the small town experience was never very far away mm. when you're in Oklahoma. Like, you just drive a couple miles south, north, east, west. You can be in a south, small town real quick. So. It was, um, did you have a shopping mall in your town? I lived right next to the shopping mall. Okay. Like we lived because we lived right on the border of Oklahoma City and Edmond okay. so that you can get the like Edmond schools, but the Oklahoma City built utilities. OK, so we, were, we were right by the mall. How, how big is Oklahoma City? Like, is that like a substantial city or it is? It is. And it's one of like land like area wise. It's one of the large it's a large city. Just yeah. like not necessarily population but like i love how when you i love how when you live in a city you learn those kind of facts like they want you to know it's like oh you're from Kansas City uh, Missouri most fountains in america or whatever well particularly 
really weird thing about Oklahoma that I didn't realize was weird because apparently it doesn't happen in all 50 states, but we have a full, I can't remember if it was a year or semester, but we have an Oklahoma history class that you're required to take before graduation. Wow. And apparently not every state makes you take a state history class. Mine did not. Yeah. Indiana does. But yeah, I, I don't think it's, I bet it's the minority of states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I found out after I left. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. y'all don't have a textbook about your state? Must suck to suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's the takeaway. <laughs> so like a whole a whole year? I can't I'm truly can't remember because I'll be honest. <laughs> it wasn't like the only subject. <laughs> it wasn't well, like eighth grade is devoted. Well, it also got confusing because like I had the same history teacher for multiple classes and right. her teaching style was unique to say the least so like i can't really remember what what was what semester because mm. she spent a lot of time in the copy room <laughs> <laughs> so by unique you mean absent mm-hmm. you I mean bad really, yeah well mm, is a bad teacher someone who goes to an estate sale says they thought about you and brings you back a treat because mm, I, don't I don't know think so <laughs> i don't know that could be nice all right attention and it doesn't seem creepy it's just unnecessary no. um <laughs> Yeah, so Connecticut Will, did not have history. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, Will, do you feel like you have credentials when it comes to, to, to discussing small towns? I mean, we, we know you have the crib sheet of my Marco Polos. But... Yeah, I um, my town is Danbury, Connecticut, 70,000 people, which is like, that's bigger than small town, but it, it felt very provincial. Yeah. It, it, it was one public high school, so there's that yeah. shared experience of almost yes. everybody. Uh, I mean, it was pretty big high school, but like it was still the one. I don't know. It felt like a small place. Like there just wasn't a lot. Although it's one of those things that um, I got older, and friends of mine who were still from there will tell me news, and it'll be it'll be like, oh, the Vietnamese um, population is is lobbying to have more representation in city council. And I was like, Vietnamese population? What's this all about? And it's like, oh yeah, there's a big Vietnamese. Not big, but like there's a significant population, you know, for like New England, white, British descended town. There's like a pretty big Vietnamese population that happened somehow. So I don't know. I I guess it was, I was just maybe closed minded. I feel more that I have a a small town experience just because I was bored from the age (laughs) of eight until like 21. And I feel like that made me feel like I had the small town experience. Like get me out of here was the feeling I had. For sure, that's a part of it. All right, you, you seem like you're on board. All right, you know, let's play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. And this game I'm calling, What Does Will Know? Oh, boy. Okay. So there are it. some standums, certain shows that, that come up a lot on this program. Okay. That that I'm I'm just, I'm curious to know what, I noticed that they do take place in small towns. And I'm curious what you think happens in these small towns in which certain shows take place. And if you don't know, I'd like you to pitch us a show (laughs) that takes place in these places. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. So if you recognize the location, you're going to give me the name of the show. If not, please create the show. Got it. Okay. The first location is Tree Hill, North Carolina. Okay. I'm guessing that's One Tree Hill, the show? (laughs) Good. Okay. Good. All right. He got that one. All right. Excellent. I actually think that's hard, even though it has the name in it. But I think maybe that's just that once you watch it. I mean, One Tree Hill wasn't a huge impact on the public zeitgeist at large. Maybe in your personal zeitgeists, but like it's one yes. of those shows, yes, yes, that has like nine seasons and it has a huge fandom. But oh, you're nine right, it's seasons. Not something, 
you can just reference and expect I, people to know. I get that mixed up with the um, what's the Area Fifty One place there where there was like a show that started around Roswell. The, like Roswell started around the same time as One Tree Hill, or it was right when WB and UPN first like emerged as entities. There was like One Tree Hill, and then Roswell, and then the, and then the show with the four names like Jack, Jill, Zoe, some, Zoe Duncan, Jack, and Jane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like they all kind of. They're like a little well, constellation in my brain of like, I'll you've never got, watch any of these. <laughs> you've got a one out of one and you're showing us your work. So the next one <laughs> is Capeside, Massachusetts. Hmm. Fictional town of Capeside, Massachusetts. Um, yeah, boy, I should know. Um, it's I can't remember it, so... I mean, it's not Dawson's Creek because that's also like a southern. <gasps> oh, my oh my God, Will Hines is killing it. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I thought that was like a North Carolina one, also. All right, great. But see, that's good memory because it was shot in North Carolina. Both oh, shows. Oh, okay. Were shot in North Carolina. Okay. So you're having a good memory. All right. I feel, this is. I'm already playing with house money. Exactly. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> for two. Lanford, Illinois. Ooh. Um. I do. I don't know. Stranger Things. No. I don't know. So should I pitch one now? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pitch us a show that takes place in Lanford, Illinois. All right. It's revealed that it's called um, Fordopolis. <laughs> and it's revealed that former president Gerald Ford fathered a bunch of illegitimate children. And they all look each other up and become a surrogate family to each other. And they live there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's picked up straight to series straight to series <laughs> okay straight to series and we all have a role in it because why not <laughs> um it is actually the location of currently the connors formerly roseanne oh right right yes yes that's a should know that that's big it's okay it's okay uh sunnydale california our uh, final buffy the vampire slayer yes, yes! Yeah. You know, you're more of a teen drama guy. You don't know sitcoms. <laughs> yeah, I need the, I need the pathos. <laughs> yeah. I need okay, the unrequited love. Five percent on the quiz, plus I'd say half credit for Fordopolis. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong B+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, congratulations. You're above average. <laughs> I love it. You know, I have appeared on television very briefly, and I was on a pop culture show, and they asked me questions about the shows that I appeared on. But never watched other episodes of the shows where I had these very brief appearances, yeah. so I knew nothing about them. Like I didn't know like main characters' names. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes you so cool. They're like, "What's Andy Samberg's name in Brooklyn Nine Nine?" I'm like, "It's Andy something. I have no idea what." <laughs> you know, you're not. Yeah, it's. It's like it's Andy Samberg, and he's playing the guy in Brooklyn Nine Nine. I don't know what his name is. That's what his name is. Yeah, that's, that is his name. Yeah. Um, all right, let's take a break and let's look up Andy Sandberg's character on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> we'll be right back. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Okay, we looked it up and it is Andy Samberg. <laughs> <That's the character's laughs> name. 
Wild. <laughs> cool choice. Like Jerry Seinfeld. Mm? Yeah, why, why mess around? Yeah. yeah, except he plays a cop in this show, but whatever. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, all right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver a thesis here, guys. Um, and <sighs> so I'm going to say this. I think in the 1990s, the smartest people on television were in the smallest towns. And then as a caveat, strangely, they were also all on CBS. <laughs> that blew my mind when I looked that up. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go back a little in history of CBS's programming. There is a famous um, movement they did in the 60s called, and bear with me, because much like Gina, I think Mar I know Gina Maroney, this. I have trouble saying this word, rural purge. Yes, yeah, I've heard of this. This is a really interesting thing. Yes. So they had on CBS a bunch of huge hits like Green Acres, mm -hmm. Petticoat Junction. Um, there, there were several others. A lot of their variety shows uh, kind of spoke to this. But, uh, Beverly Hillbillies, uh, Hee Haw. They had all these shows that sort of spoke to middle America. I mean, I think everyone. They were hugely popular. Yeah. Um, but they sort of wanted to modernize. So despite all of these shows' popularity, they purged them. They got rid of them in favor of more... Um, urban set, like issue driven shows like Maud and the Jeffersons. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, those actually worked too. I mean, I, it's like yeah. the only like television exec thing you heard where it's like, we made a huge random decision and then that also worked for us. Great. <laughs> <laughs> we can't lose here yeah. at CBS. But then what I found interesting is the shows I'm going to talk about in the 90s were sort of a meld of all of those things because they took place in tiny towns, but they were also really smart hmm. and featured really intelligent characters. Oh, okay, yeah. The first show I'm going to talk about is Northern Exposure. Right, right. So Northern Exposure, if you don't know, uh, took place in the small town of Sicily, Alaska. It is a fish-out-of-water story about a doctor, Dr. Fleischman, who, to pay off his medical school debt, uh, signed his life over to Alaska for four years to be a doctor there. He actually first thinks he's going to Anchorage and that it'll be fine through mysterious circumstances. <laughs> He has to go to Sicily. Mm -hmm. And uh, the show is just sort of all about the quirky people that live there, mm -hmm. uh, the indigenous people that live there, the Canadians that live there. <laughs> uh, and it introduced us, most importantly, to John Corbett. A lot <laughs> of people first remember John Corbett from Sex and the City, but that is incorrect. Or okay. from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Iconic in both. But he plays the felon former felon, current DJ to the town, <laughs> uh, Chris. So this is like something where it's like a very idealized small town where they have their own radio station and the DJ's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which, in fact, it would all be like some sort of like... Um, Pre-programmed really thing, like robotic yeah, automated yeah. thing done from Denver and like... Exactly. Denver would be the closest place in Alaska. Um and you also had really cool characters like Ruth Ann. And this mm -hmm. is what I think. Really cool actors because of the strange 
characters they needed. This woman, Peg Phillips, didn't start acting till her late 60s, and she was based in Seattle. And I guess they did a lot of their uh, casting out of Seattle because they did shoot in Washington State. And mm. she got this part and then was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Hell yeah. Um, Northern Exposure also takes place in the same world as Twin Peaks, though they don't do a lot of crossovers. But that is just a thing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, I think Ruth Ann meets up with the woman who carries a log around on Twin Peaks yeah. all the time. Yeah. The log they, lady. they meet up at a lake one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you have the characters uh, Adam and Eve who live in the woods. Adam is a chef. They get in screaming matches. Eve is played by that wonderful woman who plays the mother-in-law on Dead to Me. Excuse me, wonderful woman. I forget your name, but you're great. Um, <laughs> but one of the funniest things that, again, uh, is like strangely intellectual that it is a argument that aforementioned John Corbett as Chris gets in with Maurice, who is the town um, rich guy, basically. He brings Dr. Fleischman there. Uh, he is an astronaut who's been to space. <laughs> Awesome. And he is played by Barry Corbin, who will later play Whitey, Coach Whitey, on One Tree Hill. <laughs> uh, he was also nominated for two Emmys for this role of Maurice, not Whitey. Whitey <laughs> isn't as good Whitey, well, sorry, Whitey, it was a snub. It was a huge snub, but we don't talk about it enough. <laughs> I mean, a lot of inciting incidents happen through Coach Whitey. Uh, Valerie Whitey. Mahaffey. Yes, yes. i find before Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Chris reads some of Walt Whitman's poetry on air, <laughs> as small town DJs do. Yeah. And he says something about the courage to be a gay man in that mm. time, which, first of all, even talking about LGBT issues at all in the 90s on Maine, like on CBS, is crazy. Right. And Maurice gets mad that he says Walt Whitman is gay, but he loves his poetry and is glad he read it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this to me is, like, a high-level argument that is just also very small town to me. Mm -hmm. You will meet these weirdos who have, at the same time, the most conservative views, but they're expressed through, like, their love of poetry is, to me, something you will only find in a very strange small town. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like Northern Exposure had moments like that over and over. Um, you had... I yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I do feel like I need to confess something about Northern Exposure. Yeah. Um, I've been carrying around a secret for a long time, and I feel like this is the perfect time to confess. Oh God, it. what is it? Um, so Dr. Fleischman, who is played famously by Rob Morrow. Rob, yes. I assume you're a huge fan of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Rob. I can, only, I can only imagine. And Rob, I need to, I need to confess to you, I have your one hitter. Um, you lost it about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, you, you left it behind in your housing at a theater company, summer theater company where I was working at, uh, and I didn't feel like it was something you were going to call back and ask for. And I, and, and I kept it anyways, Rob, if you need your one hitter back, just, just slide into the DMS and I'll, I'll mail it. To Is this you. a Williams college? Uh, it was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose not to name. Oh, okay. Okay. Company. 
but Rob, you know, you know where you've been. So yes, <laughs> if if Rob or if any of the other uh, cast members from Northern Exposure are listening, and you just want to text Rob now, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Peg Phillips passed away in 2002, but any you know anyone else, Barry Corbin, hit us up. Yeah. Uh, so that's just like one example of. The things they let Northern Exposure do. The other show I want to talk about, about the exact same arrows, but like 90 to 95, is Picket Fences, right. which takes okay. place in Rome, Wisconsin. Okay, how weird is it that one takes place in Sicily, Alaska, and the other takes place in Rome, Wisconsin? Now, Sicily isn't spelled the same way as the uh, place in Italy, but I still find it odd. Yeah. Just want to say, this one was like less academically intellectual and more like weird '90s mysticism intellectual. Uh, Zelda Rubinstein, who I think we all know from Teen Witch, uh, <laughs> was like the she like worked in the police. Why did she work there? Just to be like a weird psychic lady. <laughs> Um, they were going to have a crossover with the X-Files that never happened. But what's funny is each episode exists. Like they just never made it a crossover because Fox and CBS couldn't agree to it. But you can watch the individual episodes and sort of see where they align. It's also such a 90s show. I didn't realize the two little boys both voiced uh, characters on Hey Arnold. <laughs> That's just a lot. That's yeah. just a lot. That's very nice. And then you have Lauren Holly who plays like the hot... Uh, deputy who was married to Jim Carrey at the time, oddly. Yeah. And Holly Marie Combs, Future of Charmed. So it like right. has this. They do a lot of like supernatural episodes that also, though, like examine their own faith as Christians and like what they're willing to accept as real and not real, which I think is very high level. Um, they had a gag of rotating mayors. Which I just wanted to point out, why was that such a thing in the 90s? Like, do you remember how Murphy Brown had rotating secretaries? Like, there would be a different one every episode? Oh, right. That's right. I guess that just really, I mean, I like it. Do it on a show now. We'll see how it works. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it just really tickled people back then, though. They loved. Yeah. Um, and then you had, again, in the Emmys, I, I tried to find Five-ish Finkel's Emmy acceptance speech to play, even though it really only tangentially relates to anything I'm talking about. It's just a joy because he was over 70 years old winning an Emmy. Uh, Ray Walston, who played the judge, also older, won an Emmy for this uh, Best Supporting Actor. And this kind of leads me to, like, where I landed on, like, what made these shows like I think a little deeper is the presence of so many old people on both shows. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's true because if you make a show basically about a town, you don't have to like have a million reasons why everyone's there. Everyone's yeah. just from there and they're there. Yeah. And I do find if you have like cross-generational discussions with people, you do hit upon deeper topics quicker because you don't have as many surface things to talk about <laughs> yeah. uh like in real life and that's just like a shame like shows and we've all written pilots and stuff and it's like everyone wants to know like why is this character here why is this person here and it's like i feel like it's they overly interrogate like how people are involved in a story yeah. when in real life it's like i i don't know yeah i don't know why this person's in my they're life. just they're always just there. here yeah they're just here and i can't can't get rid of them um and then I think like shows like this don't exist. And I have to say, I think the evangelical movement kind of 
hurt the image of small towns, uh, like making them seem to the people who write shows as places like full of dumb or especially like uniform people. Like, I think there's a quick um, reaction to believe like everyone who lives in a small town is exactly the same. Um, and that's incorrect. I have a different theory. Yeah. yeah um, I love it. Well, first of all, I, I think you're, it's, I remember these shows and there, there is a little bit of like one hit begets another, like Twin Peaks was a phenomenon and it was like such a quirky small town Absolutely. thing. And I do think like picket fences, I just would guess that when it was pitched, Twin Peaks was said like a million times for like, <laughs> Probably. you know, just it, the exoticism of the quirky small town personality. Like Twin Peaks was not authentically small town. It was just like just David Lynch weirdness, you know. <laughs> right. It had and the mystery pi- driving pic- it. Pic- and Picket Fences was like, what if we did the, the town without the mystery? <laughs> Yeah, what if we just more seasons? Yeah, but we'll be able to sell it because everybody wants this huge hit that Twin Peaks was for one year. And like and also I remember New Heart in the eighties was a sitcom that was like small town quirky, you know, look at this weirdo and this weirdo and that weirdo. I always I always thought Northern Exposure was like a single camera new heart in a way. Um but I I also think what ended it was not I love the idea that evangelicals hurt the image of small town. That probably was a bigger factor, but I think what really hurt it was the rise of friends, like friends and Seinfeld, which friends started in 94 Seinfeld started in 89, but didn't get big until like, you know, 92 or 93. Mm -hmm. That like was like, Oh, the, the rise of the New York city show that, that dominated for the next, whatever, 15 years was the juggernaut of friends, really. I think even more than Seinfeld. And yeah. like Sex and the City came shortly after that. And just like every show was in New York City for like, you know, 15 years. And I think that, that killed it as much as weird preachers. And yeah. also Picket Fences and Northern Exposure. Picket Fences was not a hit. Like I remember watching it and reading it was about an it. Emmy darling. Yeah, it was like a critical darling. And then David Kelly, the creator, would go on and do Abby McBeal. He's like, all right, I'll do it in the goddamn city, you know, with a star. <laughs> Boston Public. Yeah, I'll do we'll Boston Public. Yeah, and and we'll just have uh, and uh, what's your God? What the hell's her name? What's Abby McBeal's name? Caitlin? What's Abby McBeal is uh, Calista Flockhart. Calista Flockhart. Yeah, we'll just get like a you know legit star in the and fuck picket fences like it just didn't work like nobody it was like a friday night show it Um, was that was a big problem um, i mean not for me because like i was very free yeah me and my mom were watching it every week i I watched it too like i feel like smart people (laughs) were gravitated to it but friday night is a weird like lagoon for like smart critical darling shows like x-files was a friday night show started on friday night yeah and um and X Files isn't too separate from this because it, it is it also kind of small town. They would go out into the wilderness they would go to, to do, small towns. Yeah. They would rarely go to a city. Yeah, so I feel like X Files is kind of in this realm also. Yeah, X Files of course a was second, a sleeper hit. Yeah, I have a second theory too, which is that I think that being a television writer has been professionalized in this way over the last twenty years. That people who do it tend to come from money and more elite schools and those people tend to be from suburbia yeah or cities or maybe cities 
but and less so small towns. Yeah. Um. So it's just they're not really telling like their story either. Yeah. Um, Do you like how the sun well, has set where I am? So now I'm in total darkness. <laughs> I look like a Cthulhu <laughs> creature, just like <laughs> looming in the shadows on our Zoom window. But yeah, I I agree. It's just it's not like the heat moved away. I think as naturally things ebb and flow. Uh, small town shows, New York City shows, but I think it's had a hard time the pendulum going back. Well, but I Please. think we might see the pendulum going back in a big way after shit sweeps because shit sweeps <laughs> just cleaned up, and that's a small town show, y'all. And you know, True. there's about a hundred meetings taking place right now where they're saying the word shit sweep over and over again in their pitch meeting. Yes, so, you are correct there. You and are Stranger correct. Things. Stranger Things is a big phenomenon, mm-hmm. a small town show. Uh, I mean, it's more of an 80s nostalgia show, but still, it's in a small town. So, it is. And it is also, I think, has to do with some of those, um, like, those filming laws. Mm-hmm. Like, like, the reason so many things are in Georgia is because of, like, it's cheaper to do it there. So then we'll see what, like, you can make there. Because that's where they started to film Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, I like this theory. Yeah, the rural purge. I remember hearing about it. Um, it's interesting. It upset a lot of viewers. There's, a, the there's a snobbery about about the rural part of America. You know, it's like, oh, they're, you know, all the rich city people running the networks think it's a bunch of idiots. And uh, it's probably more like Northern Exposure than it is like the dumb characters from the from the sticks that show up on city shows, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That's pretty Yeah, and I think, fun. like, moving forward, we obviously want to see, like, more people of color and more LGBT representation on television. But, like, I'm afraid people think those people don't live in small towns, which is incorrect. It's such a lie. It's such a lie. <laughs> I know. I always get, like, I get infuriated. I used to get infuriated when especially like when I when I was in college people would hear Oklahoma and it's like it's not like the musical like that's not (laughs) where I grew up you guys like people I'm so glad like watch like Watchmen has been great because people are learning about like the fact that like Black Wall Street was in Tulsa Oklahoma like Oklahoma like has so much more diversity than people probably realize because because it was uh and it's a really dark history too. Like, I mean, sure. It, like, but it's but there's so much more diversity than people think of. And like, you know, Will mentioned the Vietnamese population in Connecticut earlier. Like, yeah. we have a huge Vietnamese population in Oklahoma City, and it's all because when folks were immigrating, they were coming down through like the um the Gulf, and they were like immigrating up through like Louisiana and settling in Oklahoma. And it's really fa- it's really fascinating. But I think like yeah. There's no reason why a show that takes place in a small town can't be diverse. Certainly there are places that are devoid of diversity, but that's not every small town. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's my thoughts. Let's let's watch it as it grows or <laughs> continues to diminish. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe Schitt's Creek plus whatever someone is pitching will bring back the small town show. <laughs> well, this is your time to pitch New Albany. Yeah, I mean, we New Albany, Indiana needs to get in there before the other New Albany's because I will be really sad if there's a show called New Albany and it takes place in New Albany, Ohio or New yeah. Albany, Mississippi. Maybe that, use, that um, be, use the rotating bad. mayors as your final, the final piece <laughs> of your puzzle you need to sell the show, you know? The rota- yeah. ha- put it in the title, like, you know? <laughs> mayor of the week. 
each week we would get a huge A-list celebrity. <laughs> to be the new mayor, yeah. Honestly, mayor of the week is a sh- we need to, we need to <laughs> stop right, talking about it. we'll work on it. that. We need to stop talking about it because this is going to be the next show we... <laughs> My notes say Fordopolis and Mayor of the Week. <laughs> We're well on our way. We have yeah. two of the four shows we need for a block. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's time to play another game now. Okay. If you insist. <laughs> I do. I insist. In fact, I demand. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. This game I'm calling Fish born out of water so we all know there's celebs that uh you know maybe a dolly parton we know she's from a small town it's her whole Mm -hmm. brand it's her whole thing yeah but there's some celebrities that are from small towns that you may think were originally from southern california or from new york city they're not okay so i am going to ask you a question with the small town the celeb is from and you're gonna try to guess the celeb okay all right it's funny this town already came up what star of Ghost was born and raised in Roswell, New Mexico? Um, to me, more. Yes. Yes. Yes, she was. All right. That seems weird to me. It does but... seem weird. She doesn't seem like a New Mexico gal. But you know what? After finishing her memoir, it checks. It makes sense to me now. Yes, that's <laughs> true. You know, Mark Maron's also from New Mexico. Maybe I don't have a good sense of what someone from New Mexico is like. Maybe the blame is on us. Yeah. You know what? It's our education that needs to happen. Okay. <laughs> what female stand-up comedian is from Bedford, New Hampshire? Um, uh, how about um, Maria Bamford? No, that's but that seems like a great guess. guess. That okay. seems like it should be right. Sarah Silverman. It's Sarah Silverman. Yep. Doesn't seem like a New Hampshire gal. Yeah. But I don't remember a time before... She was on television. So <laughs> she was pretty famous pretty young, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I just made up in my head that she was from New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That seems that's her spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Janine Garofalo should be from New Hampshire, but they've somehow switched. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. We have to go back in time. The babies were switched. <laughs> Wait, where is Janine Garofalo from? I think she's a Jersey girl. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Something happened at the hospital. Yeah. All right. Well, this next one, I feel like you're going to get this, Will. What Grammy-winning half of a celeb couple is from Springfield, Ohio? Uh, I'm not going to get this. Uh, Faith Hill. I love that guess. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's an amazing guess. (laughs) Definitely half points for just saying Faith Hill. (laughs) Anytime someone brings up Faith Hill, they get immediately a million dollars deposited in their bank account. Like, who won a Grammy that I think I remember being in a celebrity couple? End of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the answer is John Legend. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Weird. What's funny is I know that I actually know Faith Hill's exact hometown, too, because it was one of her songs. It's called Star Mississippi. Oh, that makes way more sense. Um (laughs) Southern Ohio is kind of weirdly more Southern than you think, because it's like right up against uh, Kentucky. Oh, not so, more than I think, because I'm from Southern Indiana, but yes. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're, you're very right. And, and people there tend to have more Southern accents than people expect. Yeah. Who played the Don of a New York crime family, but was actually born in Nebraska and grew up in Libertyville, Illinois? James Gandolfini? <laughs> oh. Oh, whoops. 
Marlon Brando. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, no, James Alfini is from Jersey. The oh, okay. entire Sopranos cast, if you look where they're from, it's comical. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're all like exactly who they're supposed to be. <laughs> the fifth character of her show was New York City, but her <laughs> real hometown is Nelsonville, Ohio. Sarah Jessica Parker. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for wording the question in a way to hint strongly where it was going. I appreciate it. It could have been <laughs> Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Who I, it couldn't, though. I recently she's British, found out right? she's British and Canadian. Yeah. She does not Literally have, she's not an American bothered. citizen. She's like the other two things. Like, yeah. she's not even just not one. She's, she's, yeah. It was upsetting I'm, to me to find out. <laughs> Wait, so none of the four are originally from New York then? I or guess is, not. Where is Cynthia is, Nixon from? I don't know. She might be the only one that's actually a New Yorker. I, I have to look this up now. I don't know where Charlotte's from either. I'm 90% sure. What's Charlotte's? The, what's the actor's name? That's a great... Andy <laughs> Samberg. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Davis. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Kristen right. Davis. That is, that is correct. Uh, that is correct. Wow, so many of these folks are from towns you wouldn't have thought of and you've never heard of. She's from Boulder, Colorado, Kristen And uh, Cynthia Nixon, I think, is from Texas. No, no, she's from Chicago. Her dad was from Texas. Yeah. All right, so none of them, all of these gals who made New York City look so cool, none of them are from New York City. Acting. Hmm. Who knew? See, now that... That really blows my mind because I've only been submitting for roles from people, <laughs> for characters that are have lived in the same places I've lived in. Yeah, no, you don't have to do that, Lauren. You can, you can, you can play any, <laughs> I, any hometown. I didn't know that. I thought I was limited to roles that take place in New York, Iowa, and Oklahoma. I mean, look into it. <laughs> I, I don't want to say and then have your agent contradict to me. Oh, I guess I could also add Illinois. I did live there briefly. Shit, I've really been, I've really, this is why my career is taking the path that's taken, limiting <laughs> myself. Well, now that we've solved that mystery, <laughs> let's take another commercial break. Together. All right, y'all, we are back and I... I'm excited to dive into my thesis today, but before I share my thesis statement, I want to get us all in the mood. And so I'm going to share a little trailer from an iconic film just to set just to set the stage for what we're going to talk about. So, OK, everyone enjoy this trailer. And just so you know, listeners at home, you can't tell this from the clip I'm about to play, but this is specifically a VHS trailer. OK. So that's just important, I think, for context. Here we go. Totally. You say that word one more time and I'm going to scream. Married. Bill and Jojo ah! are made for each other. Jojo, come on. You can't force me to do something I'm not ready to do, Bill. Daisy and Charlie are from two different worlds. You're weird. I'm weird. Want a soda or some juice? Tim and Kat are throwing caution to the wind. I'll have some wine. Is there a history of insanity in the family? Or... <laughs> they say it skips a generation. But in a town like Mystic... I'm going to be slinging pizza for the rest of my life. The best pizza! The only thing for certain is that nothing is predictable. I'm telling you, Joe, that I love you. 
I think that when people love each other, they should make a commitment. If he really loved me, he'd wait. But I guess if I really loved him, I'd marry him. Fit. He's not Catholic. He's not Portuguese. He's not poor. He's not a lot of things. I'm not gonna marry you either, I'll tell you that. Bring home your poor Portuguese girlfriend for dinner. These Portuguese girls are very hard to train. Shake up the family a little bit. I guess dinner is over. We talk. We read, we listen to Mozart sometimes. You really believe this 30-year-old guy is going to leave his wife and live happily ever after with you? All I want you to do for me is give it to me. Mystic Pizza. Baby! A romantic comedy Baby, yeah. with the works. Mystic Pizza. In a word. trailer for the romantic comedy Mystic Pizza, which was released in 1988 and starred Annabeth Gish, Julia Roberts, and Lily Taylor. Now, before I dive into my thesis, uh, I would just love to hear, like, Will, Caitlin, what, coming into today's episode, initial thoughts from you on Mystic Pizza? I saw it once. And I think I thought it was okay, but that trailer looks insanely annoying. Is it a really annoying movie, or is the is it just trailers from that time are annoying? Like, and is um, Julie Roberts supposed to be Portuguese in that film? Is that is that did I catch yes. that right? Yes, yes, she is. Yes, she is. Uh-huh. I saw it last year, I think, and I I really liked it. Okay. Okay. Um. So, Mystic Pizza is an you know it's an iconic film. It was sort of like. You know, a lot of these folks went on to be big stars, big deals. And and I'll say this. Ranker.com says that Mystic Pizza is the 35th best movie set in a small town. Just That's probably that true. There. Um, but today I would like to present my thesis, which is Mystic Pizza is a bad movie. Like, okay. I think it's a bad film. And... <laughs> And I, you know, in preparation for today's episode, I I went looking for some evidence to support my thesis. Great. Because, you know, I think it's it's a movie that people assume I would like because (laughs) I'm a huge rom-com fan. Like, you know, I I love me a Hallmark movie, you know, and I love a female-driven story. And there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. in this. The recipe for this film seems like it's pulled from my diary. But I hate it. And so I went in search of some backup evidence. And here are some of the reviews from 1988 when it came out. Now, I will say the Variety, Chicago Sun-Times, Globe Mail, New York Times, they all gave it a pretty good review. Right? There were some there were some nice things said, you know, um, words like genuine and moving were thrown around, unexpected, smart Great, cool. I'm gonna focus on the bad reviews. Okay, that seems so, unfair but fun. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> here are some of my favorite bad reviews from 1988. This one comes from the Chicago Tribune, and the Chicago Tribune said it's meant to be open, heartwarming, and real, but beneath its often attractively performed surface, the cliches are grinding as heavily as in any Rambo picture. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, Rambo picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, these reviews get better. So TV Guide said, eh, 
It said they didn't say eh. Um, it said it's a feel good movie with a gentle, melancholic undercurrent. However, they only gave it a fifty percent. Okay, hmm. they give percents in TV Guide. Well, this is like a this is from like a website that put the gotcha. Together. Yeah, so who yeah, knows? Who knows? Um, I really like this one from the Los Angeles Times though. Beyond some well-observed sibling interaction, the mutual effort of four writers is mutually uninspired. Whoever wrote the episodes between Hot Shot Jojo and her bulky boyfriend Bill should be ashamed. <laughs> Calling for the shame of the writing team is bold. Um, just gonna rattle off a couple of mo- a couple more. Uh, the San Francisco Chronicle said. A pleasant enough crime of the hearts ripoff about three young women bumbling, stumbling, and fumbling through life, looking for answers, smiling through tears, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I've ever seen a review that said blah, blah, blah before. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, the, I got two more for you. This last one is from the Washington Post that said, the conflicts are at best formulaic and the filmmakers provide nothing to rescue us from the cliches. Yet the general sense that our Yet the general sense is that the actors are better than the material. That I think is fair because I will say, upon rewatch, I've I've only seen this movie a handful of times in my life, but I rewatched it last night. I did not finish it. I could not get through it. But I will say the performances were really good, mm. and I'll give them that. I think the acting is good, but I I, I do find it formulaic. Um, before I move on, I do want to share this final um, <laughs> this final review. Uh, and this was. The this website I'm on Metacritic.com, and according to Metacritic.com, this final review gave uh, the movie 38. percent I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> it's the worst review. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it comes to us from the Christian Science Monitor. Yeah. And the Christian Science Monitor said, in all, it's diner female style, completely mm. manipulative, and it took four people to cook up. So people. Critics seemed really upset that there were four screenwriters. Yeah, that really well, annoys them. they find out about the next 30 years of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious that that was what got people really upset. And that seemed to be like a, a big recurring theme. But for me, I just think, I don't know. I, I It's hard for me because I'm a huge, huge Lily Taylor fan. Yeah. Lily Taylor, who She's plays amazing. JoJo in the movie. It's hard for me to come for anything she's a part of because I just want to talk about how good she is. But I find the film boring, honestly. I find it boring. I want to punch every man that walks onto the screen in the face. I do like that the that as annoying as Julia Roberts' character is and as hilarious as it is to, to see her being um, the minority character, this yeah. is apparently a story about like uh the minority struggle and Julia Roberts in that role is so strange to me. Uh but I will say I love the moment when the the one good surprise in the film is when the from the other side of the tracks rich dude that she's pursuing, he like brings her to dinner and it's a very for fans of the show who like Gilmore girls, it's kind of like a Logan and Rory go meet the Huntsburgers moment where like they're the rich family goes does exactly what you think they're going to do and they're like we hate you you're lower class and you think that this boyfriend character whose name I don't even care enough to remember 
you you think it's going to be one of those moments where like he stands up for her and she's like, oh, he really loves me. But instead she goes, I'm not stupid. You brought me here to like have a hissy fit in front of your family. And that's smart to me like that. I do. I will say that moment was smart. I liked that. There were a couple of good moments here and there. But overall, I don't understand why this movie is so beloved. I just don't get it. And so I just wanted to go on the record as saying, I think Mystic Pizza is a bad movie. Caitlin, I feel like you're formulating a response to change my mind. Uh, To be honest, the thing I don't really agree with, I don't think it's that beloved. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's like known because it's like Julia Roberts' first movie is really why it stays in the 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 zeitgeist. And then when you rewatch it, you're like, oh, wow, all these people really went on. Yes. To stuff. Uh, it's Lily Taylor, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, the woman from Two and a Half Men working at the pizza place. <laughs> um, I don't think it's that canon. I, I liked it. I, I liked it the way I like watching Friends. Like, I, I always know where it's going. People are pretty. It's cute. Some funny stuff happens. It's, it's not something I would like uh, say is like A plus, but I think it's pretty watchable as far as those movies go. Um, there is obviously like the hugely problematic uh, plot of Annabelle Gish and her uh, the ba- the girl she babysits from dad. Yeah, <laughs> that I don't think we would do anymore. Yes, I think like it's 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 nuts to me, but I guess I I always felt like it was kind of. Beloved, like even just recently, I think it was like 2013, they had this huge like cast reunion on ABC. Uh, I think I can't remember if it was oh funny Good Morning America. It was one of it was one of those things where like they hosted like a whole week of we're gonna get cast from beloved movies and TV shows mm-hmm. back together. Yeah, and it that. was like yeah, which has become a very popular thing now. But this was one of the first. Like, Mystic Pizza cast reunion was at the beginning of that sort of trend. And it was packaged like it's so many people's favorite rom com. <laughs> and I, it, it's a movie that, like, more than once in my life, people have been like, oh, well, Lauren, you must love this movie. And I'm like, no, I don't. I also, I also, I guess my real, like, confusion about why people love this movie came when a few years ago, um, I was, I I worked a wedding in Mystic because right out of grad school, I was working for a high-end babysitting agency and the, Uh-oh. C, uh, the CEO. Babysitting in Mystic. Lauren, what happened? Well. <laughs> Are you okay? Well, I, you know, I met a man and he, he told me he was a Yale graduate and, you know, I was about to go to Yale and we fell in love. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> no, I was, I was working this wedding for, for my boss and like, I think the whole reason, I I could be totally wrong, but, like, the impression I got was they chose Mystic because the movie made the town seem romantic, and I think a lot of people flock to Mystic Connecticut because they think it's romantic, but the movie's not romantic in the least to me. Like, it's, like, (laughs) if anything, like, the, the female friendships and the sibling, you know, moments are kind of sweet, but, like, Mystic might be the last place in America I want to get married, you know, because every single one of those relationships in the film are gross. Like, none <laughs> yeah. of them are healthy. I, 
I feel what you're saying. I do like the town. I actually think the town adds a lot to the movie. Like mm-hmm. as a backdrop, I think it's unique. And it takes place in Mystic, Connecticut, if people haven't seen it. It's a yeah. weird name for the movie. You might think the pizza is mystical. It's not. It just takes place <laughs> in Mystic, Connecticut. Um, yeah, but like people think Pretty Woman is a romantic movie. You know, like because... Well- Again, I don't like that movie. I think I don't like Julia Roberts. What's funny is it's a movie. I think Julia Roberts is very hot in Mystic Pizza. And she's always like in every movie she's treated like she's very hot, but she's usually styled insanely. Mm -hmm. This movie, she's actually hot. Congrats, Julia Roberts, on that. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Finally. Finally, in one of your first movies, you were dressed hotly. (laughs) Um, I've been hoping for her. Lauren, did you notice? I was going to ask if you made it to the rich dinner scene. Did you notice who plays his younger brother? Matt Damon. This yeah. Is, this is Matt Damon's first film role. Yeah. And, he plays a little shit. And it's very funny because in that like reunion, they ask the cast, like, could you tell that he was going to be a star? And they're like, oh. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it was so dumb. It was so weird. Um, I will say I found the cast reunion video far more charming than the film, mostly because there are two iconic moments and I will post the link so everyone can watch it. Don't worry. Uh, But there's this moment where they're asking everyone questions about like, who's the most intense? And they all say, Vincent, who drank the most? Vincent, who ate the most? Vincent. And it's the funniest run. And that is worth watching. And that's pretty cute. The second funniest is when they say something like, who do you think had the most fun or something? And they're all like, Julia. And and she basically goes, that makes sense because I think I'm the most innately happy. And they all are like, if there's this moment where you can feel the chill in the room and then she immediately tries to backpedal and be like, explain it, but it doesn't recover. And it's truly one of, that is so much more captivating to watch than anything that happens in the film. Her being a part of a cast reunion, I think would be tough for her. Mm-hmm. I, I give her kudos for even trying it because she's yeah. not, she doesn't come off to me a super team player. I will say she is playing the role of a team player very well. In Great. This and I don't mean that negatively, like no. she's selfish. I just feel like that's not like what she thrives in. Yeah. There is this moment where Vincent basically says he agreed to do the movie after the table read because he could tell she was going to be a star. And I feel weird about it secondhand. <laughs> How did Annabelle Gish seem like she was doing? I'm concerned <laughs> about her. I mean, this was from 2013. She seemed good. Okay. Again, who knows what, who knows how much rehearsal time went into this reunion because they all felt like they loved it. Um, Even Vince seemed like he was having a great time. And, you know. What a weird career that guy's had. What a weird life for all of them. Um, But I do have some follow up questions. So, Will, I know you might not be a huge fan of the show, but being from Connecticut, do you have Mm. any feelings about Mystic? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Mystic was a field trip destination because it's like a historical town with like whaling ships and mm-hmm. there's a like a big aquarium there. So like yeah. at some point if you go to school in Connecticut, you take a trip to Mystic. And my family would do weekends sometimes in Mystic. So I think of it as like a port, like you walk onto an old wooden whaling ship and then you walk around an aquarium and you buy some taffy and that's it. And uh, I don't think of it as like a young person hotspot where people are going to find themselves or fall in love. You know, it's not like Newport, Rhode Island or Cape Cod where there's like a beach scene. It's like mm-hmm. there's a there's like a t-shirt shop and a museum. 
Um, gotcha. Interesting. But I think it is kind of pretty. Like, it definitely seemed old. Like, you'd walk yeah. around and be like, oh, this is, like, for real, like, colonial. This is, like, Moby Dick Town, um, which is, that's kind of rad. But I don't think, no. this is a place for people to fall in love. Now, have you eaten at Mystic Pizza? No. No, because... I'm I'm a little bit too old. Like the movie came out in '87. Is that right? '88, I think. Yeah. So I turned 18, and like, kind of, my field trip days were over. So like, uh, we we predated it. Maybe maybe my family was in Mystic Pizza, the area of it, and had some charming conversation. And the screenwriter was nearby, and it inspired one of the four. To write a whole movie there. Yeah, one of the four. Wow. So Annabeth Gish and uh, Julia Roberts' characters are actually based on you and your brother Kevin. And uh, I mean, I've always felt Portuguese and a minority, but um, <laughs> well, apparently you can just claim to be. So yes. <laughs> that's that's good to know. You know, there was four screenwriters, but I remember because it was a Connecticut film, like it was sort of like a local hero makes good when the movie like did all right. And uh, <laughs> I think like it was one of the four screenwriters. It was her passion project, and like the other three writers were like hired guns that kind of got like tacked on but yeah. it was like somebody's movie where she was from connecticut and she like spent time in a stick and liked this place and liked the town and like i think it started off as somebody's real thing yeah. and it got like hollywoodized and you really feel that like you can feel because there are moments like there are these little like kernels of like what could be a really great film but I think it was it was the director's like directorial debut, so I feel like producer studio people panicked, and then like there were too many kicks in the kitchen. And it's interesting too because like I w- I'm so curious about this, and I couldn't really find an answer to this. But like Vincent D'Onofrio was like pretty open about the fact that like he like booked it, and then was trying really hard to get out of his contract. And I wonder like what that was but it definitely feels like there were people involved like people got nervous about it and stopped trusting it and then they just like oh you know yeah it's one of yeah it's one of those things where it's like that's a bummer yeah because like you do like there are those moments but then oh man i'm just like it's interesting i'm just like snooze like i truly i'm glad that this we were recording this today because last night i was like oh boy i'm really wired i don't think i'm gonna fall asleep and then Almost immediately after starting this film, I was like, I am sleepy. I'm real sleepy, real fast. And I slept great. So I guess thank you, Mystic Pizza, for being uh, boring. But thank will, you, Mystic Pizza. I will say my weekend in Mystic was not boring because uh, after the wedding that I was hired to babysit for, because the children weren't allowed at the reception, we had to babysit them in a hotel room. But then we got to go to the after party. And nice. uh, a local, a townie, if you will, who was hired to like take care of some rich person's yacht invited us all to go party on the yacht that he did not own. And it was very weird. It was a very weird day. That's, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Okay. Felt like, anyways, Mystic Pizza, bad movie. The actual pizza was okay, but the town, I'll give the town two thumbs up. All right. The little small <laughs> town made it worth it. Yeah. So anyways, that's my thesis today. Mystic Pizza, bad movie. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for airing your truth. Thank you for listening to my truth. (laughs) And Julia Roberts stands, feel free to at me. (laughs) So, yeah. Any any final thoughts, y'all, about small towns on on the big and small screen or I think they're I think they're here to stay. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Y'all heard it think, here first. Small they're going to come roaring back. Netflix is going to let small towns be the setting of things again. It's going to happen. That's true. Yeah. Netflix Because they let creators, like, actually keep power on their projects. Not sometimes. So, like, somebody's passion project. Somebody from New Albany, Indiana is going to write a show, and they'll be allowed to keep it that way. Oh. God willing. If they try to change it to Ohio or Mississippi, I'm rioting. So what I'm hearing <laughs> is this is this is the time to put my energy into my pilot about Hamburger Inn, a hamburger shack in Mangum, Oklahoma, that I have tremendous love for. Yes, it is. Get going That's on the it. moment. Hamburger Inn. Yeah. Remember our names, Lauren, please. Uh, well, Will, now that the Stan Stans have fallen in love with you and, and want to follow you across the country to whatever small town you reside <laughs> yeah. in, where can they find you? Um, my Twitter account, which is full of lies, is W-I-L-L-H-I-N-E-S. Um, and I have an Instagram account that's Willie B. Hines. And uh, those are, that's my public-facing persona, those two places. Great. And I hope Great. you enjoy it, everybody. I can't, I can't wait to, he- to read the tweets that come after recording this. I can't wait to hear that you, uh, you booked it. I'll do one tonight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You, you can always find us at We Stand Social on all the platforms. You heard it here. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. And Kaylin finally figured out how to watch videos on TikTok. So maybe we'll start posting. Uh, don't get too excited, but maybe. I just started watching today. <laughs> she started. <laughs> she shared a TikTok for the first time. It was a thrilling moment for everyone. Uh, but Stan Stans, if you had fun listening to this episode, why don't you take an extra moment and go write a five-star review? It costs you nothing, and it can give us the opportunity to finally pitch rotating mayor or mayor of the week, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, help us out, folks. And let us know, what celebrity do you want to see be a mayor first? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. Bye.